Brother Andrew had me concerned. I lost half a day. Uh, you would grab your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Half like, man, we should all squeeze together. Now all the kids are out of the room. Um, you can if you want to. You won't distract me, but you don't have to. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And once again, thank you for coming out this morning. And uh, I have been thinking about this message for a little while, and so I hope it is a blessing to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and uh, verse number 1. Uh, we'll we'll just we'll read. Uh, I don't want to take a lot of time reading the chapter. We will talk a little bit about most of the chapter this morning, uh, here at the beginning. But once again, uh, let's go ahead and pick up verse number six. He says, "Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory." which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now once again, uh, here he is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is writing, and as he's talking about it, he's talking to the children, or the, uh, the church at, uh, at Corinth, and as he's writing, uh, he is letting them know something very particular in verse number 9. He, he quotes an Old Testament spot in Isaiah, very loosely, uh, but he quotes it, and uh, he says that, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Uh, God has got some things that he has prepared if you'd love him. Uh, he's got some things that he has prepared and he is ready to give you if you would be willing to love him, he could give them. And it's amazing to me that we have really uh, fleshly mind uh, the things that we think about, the things that we have, uh, the things that we have that we think about all the time are not the things that ultimately God has prepared for us. We think far too much about the things that He hasn't prepared. We think about all the worldly pieces and all the things happening around us and all the little things and what's what you know? What are the what are the Republicans doing, and what are the Democrats doing, and what's America going to do, and how's this happening in New York, and what's going on over here, and are we going to be able to survive if Russia strikes with a nuclear attack, and what are we going to do if Russia goes ahead and drops nukes in the Ukraine, and are we going to be able to survive with the gas prices, and how much? Isn't that tiring? Aren't we a little tired? of thinking about all those things. Now I understand we have to be aware of what's going on around us, walk circumspectly, we do all those things. But you know, our focus has turned very muchly to those things as opposed to the things that God has prepared for us. 
And I think maybe we ought to just take some time this morning. God has uh, the ability to prepare. And He tries to be ready for things. And He is ready for things. And you and I oftentimes don't even recognize what He's trying to prepare for us. I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God, the things that God hath prepared for them that love Him. You can't even imagine what God could do for you. Isn't that what that said? You have no idea. The extent of your imagination can't fathom the greatness and the amazing things that God could do for you. If you'd love Him. See, there's a qualifier. And just for anybody. Lord's not out there, uh, you know, uh, salvation is open to anybody, right? We're going to talk about that here in a minute. Salvation is open to anybody. But they have to come to God by Him. Right? Isn't that the statement? Isn't it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Just because it's open to anybody doesn't mean everybody gets it. Because they choose not to go to do the thing that they need to do and ask Him to save them. Right? Well, Christian, you want all the great blessings that God could give you? Well, then you better love Him. (laughs) Because He's got it prepared for those that love Him. He's got some things. And so let's have a word of prayer. And we'll talk a little bit here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And then we're going to move on to a whole bunch of other places. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank You for the day. I thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and open the Bible and be able to praise our God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, Father, be able to see some things and maybe be encouraged about some things. And, Father, maybe be convicted about some things. And, Lord, once again, we pray that you would work in hearts today, that you would give wisdom and understanding to each of us. And, Father, we would be able to say that we have seen some things, Father, that you needed us to see, that the Word of God would work effectually in our hearts Lord, we pray that you would come back soon to take us home, be with our pastor and his family, strengthen and help them. Father, we pray that you would bless the day today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First thing I want you to see is uh, that the Lord has provided, uh, he has prepared for, and obviously I'm not going to be able to cover everything the Lord has prepared for them that love him. All right, if you'd like, we could do that, and uh, we'll still be here at the uh, song time. You can, we'll take a break for about an hour and Let Brother Andrew teach us all about singing, and then we'll go ahead and start up at 6 o'clock, and then sometime tomorrow, I might be done. Uh, But none of us want to do that. So, let's go ahead and uh, take a look here. The first thing I want you to see is the Lord has provided, He has prepared for redemption. Uh, There was preparations made to redeem all of mankind. Look at what He's talking about in the chapter. He starts off that He doesn't come with excellency of speech when He declares what? The testimony of God. And that in verse 2, I determined not to, not to know anything. There we go. I have determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So what was Paul talking about all the time? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And he goes, hey, uh, you know, the thing is, I've got some things prepared if you love Him. Uh, the Lord's got some things prepared. If you'd love God, you know what you'd have? You'd realize there was a Savior. And you'd realize Jesus Christ. And he says that he was in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power 
of God. And then he goes on to talk about how uh, if the wisdom would have been of man, then, of course, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's, that's the problem. The problem is mankind crucified the Lord of glory. Say, why did he let him do it? He let him do it so he could give you redemption. You realize that that preparation was in place before God ever laid the foundations of the world? Isn't that who he is? Revelation chapter 13, the Lord says that he is the Lamb. Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world. Before God ever laid the first set of foundations on the face of this, for the face of this earth, you know what he did? He already had decided, uh, mankind's going to fail me, but don't worry, I've already got a plan for that. I'm already prepared. If they would love me, I can go ahead and save them for all of eternity. Say, well, why would I love him? Oh, because he first loved us. I don't know what person in their, in their right mind, in any type of a sane mind, wouldn't realize that they're a sinner. I mean, in, in the world that we live in today, I get it. You know, truth is relative, and I can do whatever I want to, and you can't, be, you can't tell me what's right and what's wrong, and, you know, all those things. And they get that pumped into them constantly. I get it. I get that they hear that all the time. But anybody who has any sort of sanity looks around and goes, well, I've done something wrong. <laughs> I've told a lie. That's wrong. They already know that that's wrong. They don't have to be told that it was wrong. They already know that it was wrong. They just don't like admitting that they were wrong. See, mankind doesn't like to admit that they're wrong, so they make up excuses. Heard about that in the Sunday school hour. They blame everybody and everything so that they can get out of taking responsibility for the fact that they are a sinner. Mankind is sinful. We sin, and we sin, and we sin, and we look around, and it's like that, that woman, the adulterous woman, and she wipes her mouth and she says, I have done no wickedness. Yeah, you have. Done plenty of wickedness. You know what God saw? God saw you do plenty of wickedness. He saw that you're a sinner. He saw that you would be, be condemned for all of eternity. He saw that you deserve punishment. And you know what he said? I'll send a redeemer. I'll go ahead. I'll be wounded for all of their transgressions, and I'll be bruised for all of their iniquities. I'll go ahead and take the chastisement of their peace upon me. I'll suffer the reproach. I'll suffer the condemnation. I'll suffer a cross. I'll suffer a crown of thorns. I'll suffer the beating and the whipping and the scourging. I'll suffer so that they can have redemption. Slain before the foundation. The plan was already there, waiting. I talked about it. I talked about it in uh, Sunday school, right? Genesis chapter 3, you get to verse 15. God didn't have to come up with a cool plan by Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. He already had it. He already goes, hey, I already know how I'm going to do this. When mankind fails, I already have a plan implementing, ready to go. It's just waiting for them to make a choice. And mankind makes the wrong choice, and they sin. For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And God said, okay, boom, I've got salvation for you. It's just waiting to be revealed. You know what he wants to do? He wants to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. He says, hey, you know what I want to do? I want to go ahead and redeem you, pay for all of your sins and buy you back. That's what he wants to do. 
And if you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've never figured out that God loved you so much. The Bible says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. There's a great love that was done at Calvary. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God wants you to have everlasting life. And He loved you so much, He gave His own Son to do it. He's willing to give His own Son to pay the price of your sin. To do what? Just to buy you back. Maybe you're in here this morning and you say, I've never had my sins forgiven. I don't know that I've been bought back. Well, the Bible makes it very plain. Whosoever will, let him come. Take a drink of the water of life freely. Salvation is so simple, it is like taking a drink of water. That's, that's how easy it is. And they go, well, no, that's too simple. And the Lord says, yeah, but don't, don't fall away just because of the simplicity that is in Christ. Don't miss it because it's simple. Isn't it strange that so many of our problems are fixed by a simple fix early? And it's only when we wait long that it feels like we need a bigger fix. We need something bigger to take care of it. You realize salvation, no matter whether you've done your first sin or your six billionth sin, the Lord says, I have a simple plan for the whole thing. I can simply wash it away. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. There are no exceptions. It's the choice. If you love Him, He'll wash away all your sins. Because if you love Him, you'll do what He told you to do, and that's trust Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. He is the one Savior. His statement about it is, Beside me there is no Savior. His statement about it is that Jesus Christ is the way. He's it. Can you imagine? You know what's unfathomable? He's, he's got these things, right? We can't, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man. Before you got saved, could you fathom that God could forgive you? Isn't that a hard thing to fathom even now? That God would forgive me for all of my sins, that I could be sinless and righteous in the eyes of God. But He's prepared to do that if you've never had it. He's prepared. He made a way so that you could have your sins forgiven forever. I don't know about you, but just the thought of that, just the thought that we could stop right there, be done. My mind cannot grasp the idea that I am pure and clean in the eyes of a holy God. But that's what he did. That's what he did to save me for all of eternity because otherwise I can't have it. How do you get salvation if your sins aren't washed? Can't have it. He goes ahead and lets you know, hey, uh, if you trust him, the gospel is simple. It's simple, and it was prepared. Redemption was prepared. If you love Him, you'd trust Him, and you'd call upon Him. So what's the problem? The problem is the natural man in verse 14 doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. 
Neither can he know them for they're spiritually discerned. He goes, I can't fathom the idea that God would give me the free gift of eternal life, wash me of all of my sins, take me to heaven and not have to. What do you mean? What do you mean that I, I, I just get my sins taken away? What do you mean that I have my sins cleansed and washed and I don't have to, I, don't I have to do some good things instead? That's the world's mentality. God said, no, you just have to trust me. You just have to trust me. Look over at uh, the book of Jonah. Book of Jonah. The Lord has prepared for redemption. And once you're redeemed, we talked about this a little bit, right? We talked about the fact that when you're redeemed, what do you, what do you become? Well, beloved, now are we the sons of God. And you get to Jonah chapter 1 and as a child of God, we get certain rights and privileges and we get certain things that are given to us as a child of God, as someone who's been redeemed. We've been redeemed and we weren't redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from our vain conversation, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot, and without blemish. We were bought back because Jesus Christ paid the price of all of our sins. And so uh, as, as such, as a child of God, you know what we get? You know what he's prepared to do? He's prepared to reprove us. Now, I'm hoping most of you know the story of Jonah and what happened in his life. Now, this is, I use the word story. I don't know necessarily that some people don't like that. History is a story. It's the telling of the story. All right? So don't, don't feel weird. This is not a fable. This is not a cunningly devised fable that God laid out. He's telling the story. He's telling what happened. He's giving the facts. All right? And as he's laying out the facts, you know what he's saying? Uh, there's this man, Jonah. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, because if I read the whole thing, we're going to be here for a while. All right, so chapter 1, you've got Jonah, and he is uh, commanded to go to the city of Nineveh, a bunch of Gentiles, and to let him know that God is going to come, and he's going to destroy them, and he's going to wipe them out. And the Lord says, uh, go ahead and do it. And so Jonah arose, and he goes to flee and run away from God. That's what he goes to do, right? He gets in the ship, and he's, go, he's going to go to Tarshish. He's going to get away from God. He's going to run in the opposite direction because he doesn't want to do what God told him to do. And so God has prepared something in verse number 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So what happens? Well, he gets on that ship, right? He pays the fare thereof. He goes down, and the storm shows up, and God sent a storm. And uh, it didn't say prepared, so I didn't use it. All right, but he sends a storm. And what does he do? He sends a storm, and Jonah, of course, everybody's crying out to their gods, and they're shaking Jonah and waking him up, telling him, what in the world's wrong with you? Uh, you know, don't you know, don't you, don't you have some God we can cry to, and we can do something else because our gods aren't working? And he says, uh, yeah, I'm... Uh, uh, I'm the problem. And he convinces them, and they finally, they throw him off into the sea, right? They cast him off the ship. And they try everything else, but Jonah's the problem, so they cast Jonah off, and the Lord has already prepared a great fish, a whale. Jesus Christ said so. That's what it was. A whale's a fish. Don't let science mess you up. Anyways, I'll get all fired up there. I'm going to carry on. Uh, and so you know what he does? He sends this fish. You say, what's he doing? Why did God prepare this? 
Well, this is the start of the reproof right here. He's trying to fix Jonah's actions. And you go, well, this doesn't sound like, uh, you know, a great thing that the Lord will prepare for them that love him. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you receive not chastisement, then are you bastards and not sons. You realize, uh, if you love him, you're supposed to keep his commandments, so he's trying to keep you in love with him. And so what's he going to do? Uh, he's going to reprove you. You know what he starts with? He starts with Jonah's pride. Right here. Where does he bring him? He brings him down. That's where he brings him. He brings him to the place where he realizes that there is nothing he is going to do outside of doing what God told him to or he's going to die. That's it. He's got two options. Do what I told you or I'm taking you out. Now thankfully the Lord is usually much more merciful to us than that. But in this particular instance, Jonah was the man for the job and he was the only man for the job. And so Jonah, this is where you are. And he gets into the place. You say, how do you know he's humbling him? Because by the time you get to the end of chapter 2, he has called out to the Lord in his humility and said, okay, I'll do it. He was resigned to do the will of God. Say, why is God going to reprove us? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. He said, hey, Jonah, you can run to Tarshish if you want to but it's going to be a whole lot better for you if you do it my way. Now he says to you, hey, uh, it'll be a whole lot better for you if you do it my way. And you go, well, why, why has he got to chasten me? Why has he got to reprove me? Why has he got to tell me I'm doing anything wrong? Because if he doesn't tell you you're doing anything wrong, nobody else is. Somebody better tell you you're doing it wrong. You get mad at the preacher because he says you're doing it wrong. And all he's doing is quoting the Bible. Despise not the chastening of the Lord. You have to be weary of his correction. But you don't like that idea. Because, well, you've you, you got to help me out. You've got you to build me up. You've got to help me out. You've got you to edify me. You've got you to strengthen me. You've got to really, I mean, uh, it's just not as encouraging as I'd like it to be. Well, probably because you're too proud to think that you need somebody to keep building you up like you deserve it. Maybe you haven't fixed the problem to begin with. And so the edification isn't going to do you any good because you didn't get torn down to where you needed to be in your pride and your arrogance. And you think the preacher is supposed to preach the way you wanted him to preach. You think you, think you know better. Okay, well, that's pride. That's all that is. That's just pride. And only by pride cometh contention. So why are you so contentious? Because you're proud. So well, why, are, why aren't you saying that you're proud? Because I'm the one preaching. And if, I'm not, and if I'm proud, then the Lord will deal with me, I guarantee it. You know what he doesn't want? He doesn't want a proud preacher. Wasn't the Lord Jesus Christ servant to all? Say, so what's he doing? He's trying to make it so you can be corrected. So why'd that trouble come in my life? Because you, you were too busy worrying with you and what you wanted to do and the way you wanted to do it. And he had to send reproof. Now, you know what happens in chapter 2. He, uh, you know, surrenders and the Lord vomits him out on the dry land, you know, out of the whale. And chapter 3, he preaches and then uh, he goes out and he goes and, and sits there. 
He did his deed. Jonah preaches. And he says, okay, that's it. That's all they're getting. Forty days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. Turns and walks out. Talk about bare minimum. That's what he did. He did the bare minimum. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. No mention of God, no mention of repentance, no mention of turning, no mention of anything. No, not even a mention of why they're getting overthrown. Just 40 days and you're done. Walked out. And then he sits outside the city. And he waits. And the Lord repents in verse number 10. He doesn't do it. He doesn't burn them to the ground. And so Jonah's mad. Hadn't learned his lesson yet, by the way. He's mad. And you get to verse number 6. And the Lord God prepared, chapter 4, verse 6. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. So the Lord gives him some shade. That's pretty nice of him, right? Well, we know what happened, right? The next verse, the Lord prepared something else. He prepared a worm. When the morning rose that the next day and it smote the gourd, that it withered. By the way, uh, just a quick start here. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So what's he trying to teach Jonah? He's trying to teach him that uh, whether I'm blessing you or not blessing you, you're mine. Jonah. Whether the blessings are there or the blessings are taken, you're still mine. And I still deserve glory. And right now, what's Jonah doing? Sulking, not giving God glory for his greatness. And the Lord's about to teach him that lesson. Not only does he, st he doesn't stop there. Verse number 8. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. So what does he do? Uh, he goes ahead and he sends the east wind. And the east wind, go ahead, look it up over and over and over again. You know what that is? That's the judgment of God sweeping in. That's exactly what that is. Every time it's judgment. The east wind is not good. It means you've done it wrong and God is judging you. Talk about reproof. What's he trying to reprove him of? Verse number 9. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Lord says, Jonah, you're whining about some gourd. You're worrying about this. When I have Six score, 120,000 that don't know their right hand from their left. They're less than 20 years old. I have 120,000 less than 20 years old sitting in the city. Say, so is that what that means? Look it up. 
There you go. <laughs> That's what that means. They can't discern. Okay, what are they? They're deemed kids. They're deemed young. And so what does he say? He says those, those, those 120,000 represent the kids of all the families that are inside that, that city. He goes, and if you, can't, if you can't even worry about sparing the kids, Jonah, I, even, I got a lot of cattle in there too. <laughs> and all so much cattle. Isn't that what he said? He goes, if you can't have mercy on the kids and the, everybody under 20 in that, in that place, will you at least have mercy on the cattle? You had mercy on a gourd. He ends, he ends the conversation with Jonah with that question. He ends the book of Jonah with that question. He goes, hey, uh, you realize why you need reproof? Because your judgment is out of course. The way that you think is not the way God wants you to think. You want to do it your way. You want to have all the blessings. You want to have all, and not have any labor. Just get all the blessings. And you want to take all these things in. And you want to do all these things. You say, what is that? That's the world's mentality. And Lord goes, I got to keep reproving you of thinking like the world. The world has the mentality that, hey, I deserve a gourd hanging over me. Hey, I deserve all these things. And why is the sun got to beat on me? And how come you got to do this? And how come I can't do it my way? And why is it that you have to bless those people and give them mercy? I knew. Wasn't it my saying in my country before I left? You know, there's a pause in the chapter that you don't know about in chapter 1 until he gets to the end of the book. In chapter 1, it doesn't say Jonah said anything to God. But you find out that he did right here. Was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? That you were going to be merciful and gracious and slow to anger and of great kindness. And you'd repent. And so I wasn't leaving because you would repent. What's the problem? He needs reproof. I want you to know the Lord's prepared to reprove you. He's prepared to do what it takes to help you understand who he is and who you are and how you're supposed to think now that you're his kid. Because he loves you. That's because he loves you. We forget that oftentimes. Lord, why is this happening? Because I love you. Let's get to some better stuff. John chapter 14. Everybody in the room knew we were going to John chapter 14 before the day was done. And if you didn't, I'm a little ashamed, all right? John chapter 14. The Lord has prepared redemption. He's prepared reproof for His children. And He's prepared some rewards. John chapter 14 and verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in, my, in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. The Lord says, hey, uh, I've got something I'm preparing. Eternity is going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Uh, words do not describe. I don't rightly know that I could put in, frame up, and do all the things in words of the beauty and the glory and the majesty of what we're going to have for all of eternity. 
But I would like to posit a thought for you just for a moment. Uh, turn over to Revelation chapter 21. And I want you to give this a little thought. I could be totally wrong on some things. Or I could be right on. And maybe there's some degree of variation in the middle, but we'll see. And I brought up some of this before. But I want you to think just for a moment. Now here we are in Revelation chapter 21. And now remember... I'm trying to get you to think about something. I'm trying to get you to think, right? I have not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. All right? God's preparing an eternity for us. Right? That's part of the preparation process. He's preparing to reward us with a place called the New Jerusalem and with all the rewards that go with it. Right? So think about this just for a minute. We understand Revelation chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth and the first, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared, there she is, as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he saith unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And now he's going to go down and he's going to describe the city, right? And the city is four square, and it's got walls of jasper, it's got the gates with, made of pearl, and it's got... Uh, you know, of course, the street of gold, and it's got uh, the 12 foundations and the 12 gems that are there for the foundations of the city. And he's got his throne in there, and he's the lamb, is the light thereof. And obviously, this is the place that we're abiding. This is a place where he says, in my father's house are many mansions, right? This is where they're located, is in this city. And we're looking at this city, and the Lord is preparing. I go to prepare a place for you. So here's some things that I want you to think about. We understand the rewards that we could gain. We're here in Revelation chapter 21. Look at chapter 19. Verse number 8. Well, verse number 7. Uh, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. I think one of the rewards we get, we saw it in Revelation chapter 3, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Uh, he wants them to buy white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. That's what he wants them to do in Revelation chapter 3, the church of Laodicea. I wonder, I wonder if some of the preparation isn't him making the garment that you're going to wear for all of eternity. So that's conjecture. Yep, it is. We also know one of our rewards is gold. You go back to the priest's attire. 
and the linen garments that they wore, by the way. You know what they got? They had gold interwoven in them. I wonder if he's making you a wonderful robe on righteousness. How amazing would that be? Now, it's scary. You say, why? Because that's your righteousness, not his. Judgment seat of Christ, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we won't go there right now, sake of time. But you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we all know the passage, right? Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so you've got this foundation laid. You trusted Christ, you've got a foundation, now you're going to build. What if you're giving him what he's building? What do you mean? Uh, what if you're giving him the building blocks that he's putting in your mansion? Say, so what's that? What? Gold, silver. If any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. What if the preparation that he's doing is letting you give him the building blocks while he builds? And your abode forever will be the mansion that you could put together based upon what you did for him. Say, well, that's not in there. Okay. Except the building blocks of heaven are gold and precious stones at least. That's two of the three. Isn't it strange that that's what the New Jerusalem is made up of? Two of the three building blocks that he gave you? is what the city is designed to show? I mean, so that's all just conjecture. I know, but I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither enter into the heart of man what God hath prepared for them that love him. Maybe we ought to be thinking about what is prepared for us for all of eternity. Maybe as we think about what he is doing and what he is trying to do, maybe you and I could realize that God is prepared to reward great service with a great mansion. Say, well, what difference does it make? I don't know if it makes any. But what if it makes all the difference? Real quick, what happens to the guy whose all of his stuff is burned? He doesn't receive a reward, right? He's saved, but he doesn't receive any reward. What if it's that he doesn't have a place to stay and he's homeless? Isn't that his shame? I think that'd be a good shame for all of eternity. Say, I don't like any of this discussion. Don't worry, we're getting there. There's five crowns, right? We'll just keep working our way through the list of rewards. He is prepared to give. He's prepared to give those. He told you what they are. Now, you have the crown of rejoicing. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you don't know where these are, I'll just tell you real quick. Uh, and that is, are not ye, uh, where's our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye, the souls saved. Uh, that has to do with service of souls saved. Uh, James chapter 1 found elsewhere but James chapter 1 
enduring temptation. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Why? Because I'll give him a crown of life. James chapter 1. Enduring temptation gets you a crown of life. Now there's one that uh, I've heard some say it's only four crowns and this one's not really a crown. It encompasses all the crowns and whatever. I don't know. All right? All I do know is it's called something else and it's the incorruptible crown that fadeth not away. And it's done for someone who is temperate in all things. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Say, does that encompass all the other ones? I guess it could, but it sounds like a different one to me. So I don't know. Feel free, whichever way you like it. Fourth one is the shepherd's crown. That's the crown of glory. In 1 Peter chapter 5, reserved for the shepherds, the under-shepherds of Jesus Christ. And then 2 Timothy chapter 4, of course, you have the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Looking for Him coming and loving it. Loving the day that Jesus Christ is going to show up. Split the skies and go ahead and sound a trumpet and call us home. And you and I, we, we have a lot of things. Now, the only reason, the only reason this section right here gives us pause and we go, I don't know that I really like this preparation idea for this part, is because you're involved in that preparation. See, see, we like redemption. We love that. I'm, I'm all for it. We love, okay, well, I can, I can take reproof as long as the Lord keeps me on the right track. That's going to be good. Well, he's doing that so he can reward you. He's doing that so that he can bring about so that you can receive the reward of the inheritance. He wants you to have it. He loves you and is prepared to give you all the reward. He is ready, lock, stock, and barrel, to dump the truck right on top of you and go, here's all of your reward in its bounty. He has no problem rewarding his servants. He has no problem making sure that you will be taken care of for all of eternity, not just for the idea of having eternal life, but also all the blessings that go along with it. He is prepared. He's prepared to dole it out as much as possible. There is no shortage. He can just keep reaching back and pulling it out of the bank. He's got it. What's the problem? To them that love him. If you love me, keep my commandments. Our problem is not that he is not prepared to give everything. It is obvious that God is always prepared to give everything because He gave His own Son who gave everything. God is not the problem. Who's the problem? I'm the problem. When I get in front of Him and I stand at the great white, or at the judgment seat of Christ and I'm standing in front of God Almighty, my Savior, the problem is not going to be God you just did not give me opportunity. It is going to be, God, I didn't take the opportunities. He is prepared. Say, what's my problem? I don't love him like I should. I fail to love him. 
and in doing so, I fail to act upon it. I fail to choose to do the way he wants it done, and I run like Jonah, and I'm just as stubborn. And if you'd admit it, you're probably just as stubborn too. Maybe not on everything, but there's something in there. And you stay stubborn, and it'd take a great fish swallowing you and putting you down and feeling like you're in the bars of hell, trapped, knowing his judgment's about to fall on you and you're going to die before you'd ever give it up. And the Lord says, I'm prepared to give you reproof, but I'd much rather give you a reward. I'd much rather give you, give you the blessings and give you the... If you just love me, you'd keep my commandments and you'd do it my way. And you know what I get? I'll just tell them, bring the truck in and we'll just dump it all right here. And you'll just have a pile of gold, silver, and precious stones and we'll heap the crowns on and we'll go ahead and we'll just, I'll, just, I'll just reward you unbelievably. And you'll have blessings in this life as well as in the next. You'll have blessings here on the face of this earth as well as blessings for all of eternity if you do it my way. Because God can't help but bless what he blesses. A lost man who gets the principles of God and does it God's way still gets the blessings of God. You, you don't see that? We see that all the time around us. You do it God's way, he is blessing it regardless. Because that's, that's, he chooses to bless what he blesses. And he's laid out all the rules. And he's going, I, you can't even imagine what I could do for you. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man what God hath prepared for them that love him. I don't know if God could do that. God could do it. If you can imagine it, he can do it, and he can do more. Exceeding abundantly above anything you could ask or think. Look over at Colossians chapter 3. I'm almost done. Two spots and I'm done. Colossians chapter 3. Verse number 22, he says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. Whether you're at the job site, you're at, you're at work, wherever you work, you're out, you're out at your house, you're going to Walmart, you're buying gas. Know what he says? Do it heartily as unto the Lord. Why? Because the Lord will reward you. The Lord will reward you as you look to what he's serving. What does he want you to do? Ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. Why? Because you're remembering who you're serving. We're serving him. And it's not grievous. It's out of love. And we love Him because He first loved us. Look over at Matthew chapter 25 and I am done. 
Matthew chapter 25. There's one other thing I'm going to mention that God has prepared. And it's in Matthew chapter 25. In verse 41. Read the judgment of nations here. But he says this. Then, saith, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, verse 41, Depart from me, ye cursed, and everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. And I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee unhungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison? And did not minister unto thee, then shall he answer and say them, saying, Verily I say unto you, as much as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. God has prepared something else. He's prepared a recompense. It's a lake of fire. It's prepared for the devil and his angels. That's who's supposed to go there. Satan and those who have followed him. But it's also a place for the unrighteous to go. It's prepared for the recompense of sin and transgression against God. Knowing that that was created and that was made and that was prepared, God prepared that place of redemption. The first thing I talked about. That is the first and only choice we have. Till we get this choice right here, none of the other things matter. God has prepared either life eternal or an eternal death in a lake of fire. The Bible says a place where the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. There shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. God has not only prepared heaven and eternal life and a way to get there, He has also prepared a place for all of those who don't trust Him. And they're deemed unrighteous. But God has prepared everything so you do not have to go. He's prepared a way so that mankind does not have to spend eternity in a lake of fire and burn forever and ever. Instead, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, and prepared a way for them to get to a sinless heaven by the death of his son, to pay the debt of all of their sins and wash them and give them the righteousness of God, to make them righteous, to go into life eternal. Now today, I don't know who's saved or lost in here. You do. You know. If I were to ask you today, you know if you would say, I'm going to heaven for sure 100%, or you would say, well, I'm not really so sure. Or maybe, oh, I'm sure I'm not going. Well, there's no reason to go to a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Instead, the Lord prepared a way for you to get to a sinless heaven. And then after that, you're already prepared. He prepared all the blessings that go along with it. There's blessings that go along with getting eternal life. There's blessings because you love Him and you trust Him and you believe Him. 
but there's also an eternity of punishment if you decide not to. And God has prepared both paths so that you have a choice. It's your choice, though. Christian, it's your choice. Your way, His way. Your choice. Do you love me? Keep my commandments. Do you love me? Okay. Well, your job is to follow Him. Your job is to do it His way. I want all the blessings. Okay. Well, then you've got to do it His way. Then He can't help but bless you. Because He promised it. And He'll bless you beyond measure. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to go ahead and, and we're going to have an invitation here and we're going to invite people to come. And it's kind of an odd time for some folks. They've never been. Don't know. People don't know. We're going to ask people to come and maybe some Christians will come and say, hey, I'm, I haven't, I'm not ready. The Lord's prepared to bless me and I am not prepared to receive the blessing because I haven't been doing what I was supposed to do. And Maybe you're in here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm going to ask you to come. And instead of kneeling down here, I'm going to ask you to get my attention and say, I, I don't know about heaven being my home for all of eternity. I don't know that I've ever been redeemed for all of eternity and had God pay for all of my sins. The Bible says that the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but as long as suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants to save to the uttermost if you'd come and let him. We'd love to take a Bible and show you what God says about eternal life and how you can have it. Secured forever. Sins forgiven forever. And Christian, maybe today you'd be willing to come and just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm thinking like the world and doing things the way the world would want me to do it. I'm not doing them the way you want me to do it. I'm not getting rewarded the way I should be rewarded. And Father, if I were to show up there today, my robe wouldn't be what it should be. I wouldn't have the crowns I should have. And my mansion might be a tattered remnant of just a few blocks that stay standing. If that's right, I'd feel pretty ashamed of myself. And I don't want to meet you ashamed. You don't have to. You can get the reward. You can get the reward of the inheritance. Father, I thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. I pray you'd bless. I pray if someone is lost, they would have the courage to come forward and let us open a Bible and give them the answer of how they can know their sins are forgiven forever. Lord, I pray you'd help us if we're saved in here to be building and laying up the best treasure we possibly could. Father, we pray you'd come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen.